Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Los Angeles, California, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And joining us shortly straight off the practice field in Nashville, Tennessee, will be the coach, Corey Burton. But the third amigo in the second city is already here, so let's introduce him. A man who definitely appreciates a little bit of Hergé in his life, the Tintin lover himself, um, and our intrepid blogger from the Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Yeah, yeah, you know, you've got your travel plans, so we had a, a dead start to our show. Whoever can join us can join us. Coach will be here shortly, but um, I'm excited. We had our first Wednesday night game last night to, like, pump up my college football experience. It was a doozy. Arkansas State, first win of the year. Come from behind victory over uh, Georgia Southern, 27-26. Nice. Yeah, that was uh, that was definitely a good one last night to kick off some Wednesday action. Not quite in, no action yet, no midweek action yet, but we'll definitely be getting to that. Um, but we're going to start like we always do with some quick slants. And so, uh, Josh, uh, I, I know you've got a bone to pick with um, with, uh, with the Floyd of Rosedale. Yeah, my first quick slant is highlighting the two trophy games going on. Uh, I'll mostly focus on the Iowa Minnesota Floyd of Rosedale battle. Uh, you know, th- I'm going to hate watch this game. I hate how the defensive coordinator, Phil Parker, refuses to move Desmond King around. Northwestern has the league's leading receiver, and they matched up at zero times last week because King just has to focus on one side of the field. Makes no sense. He's an NFL talent. Have him shadow the best receiver. And then the offensive game plan we've talked about, the lines are a mess, and I know Brian Ferentz has coached Iowa for several years now, but it's a lot different coaching NFL players than it is this line, and whatever he's coaching just is not working, and I'm not sure how his dad, Kirk, can yell at him for that. So that gets tricky. This team is a mess. Part of me wants them to lose out for hopefully the shame switches some things up, but that would then require me to actually want Minnesota to win a game. And you know how difficult that is. And on the flip side for the Gophers, you know, they lost a heartbreaker. They really dominated Penn State a week ago, just had a lapse right at the end of the game to let Penn State have a nice last second drive to kick a game tying field goal and lost it in overtime. And I know they like Tracy Clays and I know this is his first year full coach. Um, but dating back to his interim run last year, he's now 1-5 in five in conference. And he's got a very, very low buyout. It's almost like his contract was an extended trial period. At some point, he needs to start winning Big Ten games. And if he can do it against rivals, that'll help a lot. And then the other trophy game, uh, it sometimes gets forgotten because there are 15 trophy games, Matt, in the Big Ten. 
There's only like five of them that are actually good. And this one is one of them, and that is the Purdue Cannon. Uh, Illinois and Purdue, I know the football teams aren't as good as uh, we hoped Illinois would be with Lovey Smith, and obviously Purdue is a mess. Uh, but it is an historic rivalry, and it's very, very close. Illinois leads at 44 to 41 with six ties. Uh, it's been a battle. This is a good chance for Illinois to get back on track and maybe uh, maybe make some hay in Lovey's debut season. So I'm, I'm intrigued about those two tri- trophy games. All right. Well, um, you guys can probably guess where I'm going for my first quick slant. Uh, that is uh, my darling American conference. A couple of good games this weekend. Um, we'll start with the highlighted game, and that is obviously Houston visiting Navy uh, in Annapolis. It is uh, definitely going to be a, a contrast of styles between Houston's, um, I, I want to call it like fun and gun a little bit, uh, what, what they're doing out there uh, with Navy's uh, triple option. Navy coming off a tough loss at Air Force last week. Um, but, you know, we think things will get back on track. Houston's got to hope that quarterback uh, Greg Ward. Cooper. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cooper is uh, Cooper's definitely into the middies. So, yeah. Um, but uh, he's uh, – but Houston's got to hope that Greg Ward Jr. is back and fully healthy for them to uh, continue the machine rolling like it has been there. Elsewhere in the conference, uh, two other matchups are intrigued me this weekend. Temple visiting Memphis. Memphis, uh, if you remember, was in our It's a Trap game from last week. Uh, they didn't end up pulling off the win against Ole Miss, but uh, still played a decent game. Uh, Temple comes in uh, 1-0 and in the conference already after beating SMU 45-20 uh, to last week. So Temple's defense uh, still stingy, not quite as stingy as a year ago. Memphis under new coaching. Uh, it's, uh, again, going to be a bit of a contrast of styles. Memphis throwing the ball a lot more than Temple is, but Temple's a nice balanced attack. Uh, finally, uh, Cincinnati is going to be visiting UConn in stores, um, or I should say it's – played in East Hartford, where um, where a 2-3 and three UConn team, which has uh, started 0-2 in conference, also played Cincinnati, who was above 500, but also winless in conference, which is kind of strange because both of these teams were sort of, we thought were going to be middle of the pack teams in the conference, and uh, so both these teams not having the starts that they would really have liked. To, liked. Um, uh, one Bright spot for UConn so far has been wide receiver Noel Thomas. He already has 46 catches for 523 yards on the season. Uh, Cincinnati has been having, uh, has been plagued, uh, it seems like always, with uh, quarterback issues so far. Um, so it's, it's going to be an interesting match to see who can get off the schneid in terms of conference matchups, or conference games, I should say, for the week. Uh, and so the coach has joined us, and he is going to uh, say hello and give us his first slam. What's up, guys? Uh, we had a uh, we just got off the practice field here um, and uh, just get my bearings. So uh, my first quick slant is going to be uh, the Georgia South Carolina game. Shockingly, um, okay. for two reasons, I guess because Hurricane uh, Hurricane Perkins, I mean uh, Hurricane Matthew, uh, is coming through, and it's uh, it's unknown whether uh, how, how it's going to affect. The Columbia, South Carolina area—they've already canceled classes. They've already started evacuating most of the most of the state that's uh, somewhat near the coast. So um, they haven't they haven't confirmed that that game is going to be rescheduled or moved. So as of right now, it looks to be 
uh, on for seven o'clock Saturday night in Columbia, South Carolina. So um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a wet affair probably. Uh, they're probably going to get a couple a uh, couple drops of rain, maybe um, maybe some wind. I don't know. Um, but uh, all weather conditions aside, uh, you know it's going to be an interesting matchup because uh, it's going to be it's, we're, we're going to really see what kind of metal uh, Georgia has, what kind of resolve they have. Can they bounce back after their heartbreak loss? Uh, they played much improved. Um, in all facets of the game uh, against Tennessee, this game is going to prove whether or not it was a fluke or not. Because you know, you come out and you you get up for Tennessee, but South Carolina's not as talented; they're not as good. You know, the, the, the test is going to be: can they get up for South Carolina and play at the same level? Um, and then and that'll that'll be one of the questions that's answered. Jacob Beeson's got to be more consistent. The offensive line has got to be more consistent. Defense they got to get after Perry Orth. Uh, they got to shut down the run game. Um, for the Gamecocks, Gamecocks are coming in, uh, you know, more more deficient in talent than Georgia is. So uh, it'll be an interesting contest because South Carolina is a home team and uh, Georgia struggled in williams Bryce Stadium um, as of late. Uh, they haven't really won a whole lot there. Um, I think they, well, I think they at one point they had lost three or four in a row in Columbia. So uh, Georgia's going to look to bounce back. A uh, lot, lot of factors have got to remain constant. If Georgia's going to have any success this year, uh, they got to find. They still got to find an answer at tackle. Greg Pike looked terrible. Uh, Tyler Catalina looked, looked even worse. Uh, so their their two uh, their two bookend tackles have got to be uh, got to step up for, for for them to to have any success. Uh, Nick Chubb should be back for this game. Uh, should play a, should play a huge role there. So uh, you know, I, I'm thinking Georgia's going to come away with a. It'll be a sloppy. Turnover fest, probably a lot of sliding around, just probably an ugly game. Georgia will probably win this ugly game by about, I don't know, they'll win probably by touchdown because they will turn it over one less time than South Carolina. And that, that total will be five and four. I, I think I think Georgia wins the turnover battle, uh, four turnovers to five. Well, we've actually got some breaking news considering Hurricane uh, Matthew for this weekend. The LSU-Florida game has just been canceled uh, as within the last hour. So um, that's uh, who knows what is going to be in store for the other games uh, in and around Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina. But as are, they, are they postponing it or is it fully canceled? Postponed indefinitely. Oh, wow. That, uh, that makes the – East, really, really interesting then because, you know, Tennessee certainly looks like they're capable of losing the game. They've played so erratically. They've got Alabama. So, that you know, Florida is not that far out of the, the division race. Yeah, well, let's... No, I mean, all Tennessee has to do, or all, yeah, all Tennessee has to do is lose one game. Actually lose, uh, and then Florida jumps in that, jumps in that mix if they, if they went out. So, it's an interesting race. Yeah, definitely interesting race. Well, uh, let's ahead, Josh. You're going over to the other coast to talk a little Pac-12 football for us. Yeah, I'm going about as far across country as humanly possible, and that is my beloved Colorado Buffaloes. Uh, this is a team that I, uh, I guess, I'm the conductor of the hype train. I thought they were going to win a, or get to a bowl game this year. I would not have predicted they would be ranked uh, five games into the season, but this is where they are. Uh, but they get a trip to the Coliseum. Uh, USC, I realize they're two and three, but they just drubbed Arizona State, beat them by three touchdowns. And their two losses in conference 
were both road games. One was against Stanford, and, you know, that was a 17-point game, not a very good showing. Um, but they were a lot better against Utah. Almost pulled that game off. They only lost by four in Salt Lake City. So the Trojans are a little bit more improved despite their, their start to their season, losing 52-6 to Alabama. And for Colorado, you know, there are these games where every conference has them, and it doesn't matter how bad Ohio State is. It doesn't matter how bad Alabama is. It doesn't matter how bad Texas is. And USC is that for the Pac-12. You have to get over that hump. It always feels like the title is goes through those blue blood programs or they upset someone and it ruins their season. And so Colorado needs to find a way to win this game. I'm not going to say it's going to be easy because it's not, but whenever you face one of these teams, especially on the road, it's just so difficult. So I'm really, really curious how Colorado looks in the Coliseum. And that's, that's a house of horrors. That's a tough place to win. Yeah, it definitely is. And, uh, you know, the Buffs seem to have been on the road a little bit more than a lot of these other Pac-12 teams so far. So they've definitely been road warriors, and they just might be getting a little exhausted at this point. All right, Coach, what you got for your second slant? Well, I'm going to uh, to take a look. I'm going to go to the Big 12 here. Um, I thought this was pretty uh, pretty interesting matchup here, and I'm I'm trying to figure out. I don't see it. Okay, so. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at Texas Tech. They're they're sitting there three and one. Uh, they're traveling to Manhattan, Kansas, uh, taking on the two and two Wildcats. And you know I'm sitting here thinking, well, they you know they win this game, they come out four and one, they could possibly sneak into the uh, to the top twenty five. And you know Texas Tech is kind of flying under the radar and having a pretty good successful season. Uh, they're gonna play at uh, the Bill Snyder Family Stadium, Manhattan, Kansas, um, and they're gonna go in there with Pat Mahomes. With uh, he, he's almost thrown for 2,000 yards this year, 18 touchdowns. He is 122 for 166 uh, on the season passing wise. So, you know, he's looking to uh, to get things rolling or keep things rolling, I should say, for the Red Raiders. Um, you know, rushing uh, your leading rusher, 33 carries, 204 yards, and three touchdowns. That is Mr. Felton uh, for the uh, for the Red Raiders. And you know, I, I think it's you know. We talked about Cliff Kingsbury possibly being on the hot seat this year, and we talked about, you know, what this Texas Tech team needed to do to, to compete to become bowl eligible. We said they had a chance to be bowl eligible. They might have a chance to, to get in there and uh, be kind of a dark horse candidate, kind of be what we thought Washington State was going to be in the Pac-12. They have a chance to kind of get their name in the mix and kind of sit there and give themselves a chance. Uh, this is, I think – one of their best seasons since uh, since you know the early, you know, the, the late two thousands where they had uh, Graham Harrell and uh, Michael Crabtree and that bunch with uh, with Mike Leach. But uh, you know it's it's good to see. And I think it's going to be good for the Big Twelve because you know they they need something they need an interesting title race. And if Texas Tech can throw their name in the hat, uh, they could certainly make things interesting down the stretch. So uh, look for Pat Mahomes to have a big to have a big game, put up some more video game numbers against Kansas State. Kansas State's kind of kind of struggling at times, and you know with Kansas State being as inconsistent, uncharacteristically inconsistent as they are right now, really have a big field day. 
yeah, we would we, we would definitely expect him to have a, a a field day against that defense. So, all right, well, my third quick quick slam is also going to be our game of the week. So, um, I'm just I'm going to get right into it uh, with, and that is uh, Wazoo at Stanford. Um, you know, this is a definitely a trap game for the Cardinal. Uh, cause, you know, next week they've got a big game against at Notre Dame. Um, and Wazoo comes in at two and two, but, uh, you know, they've looked stronger in the recent weeks, especially if you look at their win last week. They blew out Oregon, um, 51 to 33. And quite frankly, it wasn't even that close. Luke Falk looks like an absolute animal. He has been so productive this year. 12 touchdowns to only two picks. He's really cut back on his picks from last year. Already at 1,500 yards basically through four games. So, you know, with the Pirate at uh, the helm of the Cougar ship, they will definitely be uh, firing uh, all cannons at all angles. So, um, and Stanford, you know, last week they got run by um, they got run by Washington. And, you know, they are definitely going to be reeling from that game. I'm curious to see if Stanford can. Uh, re, uh, regain its composure and uh, play some bully ball against a team that is a lot smaller than them. So, Josh, your thoughts on this game? Well, as we know with Stanford, their two starting corners are still week to week. And, you know, I double checked before the show on ESPN's uh, front page for Stanford, and I haven't seen any word that either of them are back yet. So, we saw that help Washington out. We know Wazoo loves to pass the ball, so that'd be my chief concern if I was a Cardinal fan. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, the Cardinal has to uh, they have to bounce back, you know, and, and taking a butt kicking like that uh, could be to go one of two ways. You could go in the tank for the rest of the season and just kind of struggle your way through it, um, or you can, you know, ride as a fight. And, and so they're going to have to really just mentally um, – get themselves back up on their feet in this game. Uh, they, you know, what bothers me about Stanford is they, they just seem, well, they don't seem, they are. They're very one-dimensional in Christian McCaffrey. And here I didn't think it would quite matter. I thought maybe as as, uh, as things were getting comfortable in the, in, the, in the passing game, he was a big enough weapon to kind of overcome a lot of those issues. But he really hasn't, they, Stanford really hasn't been able to overcome their their deficiency quarterback and uh, and it's you know it's odd because they've been such a great program but you know for Wazoo you know and I think it's you know they're going to sling the ball around the yard that's what they do they're going to they're going to hit some big plays on them that's what they do you know they'll probably score a few points that's kind of what they do but for Stanford they just need to come in and re- get, get, regain control of the game, the game and of the line of scrimmage. If they can do that, if they can get back control of the line of scrimmage that they had lost the last couple of weeks, then, you know, they'll be fine in this game. If they don't, if they struggle like they have been the last couple of weeks, then Wazoo's going to have a chance, and Wazoo will, will come out and, and beat because Luke Falk is on fire right now. 
Yeah, he definitely is. So that's going to be a great game to watch out in the Pac-12, but it's time to get to our deep roots for the week. And so we are going to start with a game that who knows if it's even going to be played uh, when Florida State uh, coming off of a rough defeat last week at the hands of uh, a, a team in North Carolina that we'll be talking about a little bit later. They head down to Landshark Stadium or Joe Robbie Stadium or whatever they're calling it these days to play Miami, but that might be in the eye of the hurricane so uh josh if this game is played uh you know who do you like that's a good good question so i've been looking at the series and it's miami leads at 31 29 which was first of all just a little bit of a surprise because uh to me florida state has always been good and miami's had bursts but not sustained success at least that's my perception um, but what intrigued me was in the, these last uh, six games, Florida State's won all of them. But there have been some close ones, 23-19 in 2011, and the last two games have been five- and four-point affairs. So despite you know not getting over that hump, Miami's been right there. And it's interesting you brought the stadium because this was the next thing I was looking at is we make fun of Miami's – lack of home field advantage. So their biggest crowd last year was 53,000. Uh, this year, their biggest crowd was 60,000. But Sun Life Stadium seats over 65. So if there's ever a time for Miami fans to show up and get that stadium rocking like the Orange Bowl used to be, this is the game. Because Miami's top 10, and we honestly don't know what they have. They've played Florida A&M, Florida Atlantic at Appalachian State and at Georgia Tech. So they are about as unknown a top 10 team as I've ever seen, but I'm still going to pick them. And the reason I'm going to pick them is I've always been a pretty big fan of Brad Kaya, and we've seen Florida State secondary get torched recently, as recently as last week when North Carolina had their way with them in the passing game. So I think Richt and Kaya, that's a recipe for success. I think Miami gets over the hump, and one of the reasons why is they're finally going to have a home crowd show up. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, Miami opened up a new stadium for, uh, for the Dolphins and for uh, the U, and it's, uh, it's right next to Marlins Park. It's kind of at a, in a better location uh, for fans to come in, so I think they will have a better crowd. Um, and they have a reason to come in because they're 4-0, they're ranked, um, they're actually has some success, they have an alum coach in their team. I mean, a lot of things are going in Miami's favor as far as the PR is going. Um, and and uh, not only that, the Seminoles are coming to town. Um, and I think a lot of the reports I've seen about this hurricane is that, you know, it could possibly veer off and, and, and not affect Miami very much at all. Um, and so that's another plus. So you never know what the circus would do. It's, it's been relatively unpredictable at this point. Um, but what I do like about this matchup in Miami's favor is that Florida State is very, Florida State and Stanford are very similar because they have problems in the quarterback position. I'm not sold on DeAndre Francois. I don't think that he's able to play in big time games. Miami's front seven is led by Shaquille Quarterman, who's just a freshman. 
but he's playing like he's a senior. Um, you know, you've got Cornell during the backfield, uh, and every time I every time I see him, he's uh, he's making plays out there the cornerback position. Uh, he's a physical corner that's not a, that's not afraid of contact. Uh, but really, a lot of Florida State's talent, uh, at least offensively, is, is is relatively nullified because of what you have the quarterback. And it just seems like uh, a lot of people, play, a lot of the guys they recruited to come play quarterback for them just hasn't panned out the way they were projected to. So, um, and you can't run the, the entire game through Dalvin Cook, or it, it, it's kind of I don't want to say recipe for disaster, but it does it does make you struggle a little bit, and it does make things more difficult um, because defense can defense can. Uh, Lock in to stop the run and force you to beat him outside, which Miami has the advantage. And then Josh, you, you made the point of Brad Kaya and Mark Rick and, and uh, the Miami offense, which is uh, which is rolling right now as well. To go on the road and beat a team like Georgia Tech, who's actually been playing pretty well all season, uh, been playing decently well all season uh, for their first big for their first real test, is, is uh, just tells you where this team is at and tells you how much this team is play. So uh, a lot. Normally, I'd probably pick Florida State in this matchup, but I, I really do like the Canes in this one, uh, not because uh, not because of Mark Rick, but just because I think they're just flat out better. Yeah, I've I'm a little torn on this game because I feel like if it's really wet and sloppy out there, I still feel like Florida State has a better running game uh, than Miami does right now. So that's the only reason I would probably pick Florida State in this game, but it's a it's a really close call. Let's move, uh, stay in the southeast, move to the SEC, where uh, Roll Tide is visiting Woo Pig Suey. Um, this is going to be um, a battle in the trenches, Coach. So the, you're our SEC guy. So what, what do you think is sort of the key battle in this game? Well, it's going to be the uh, it's going to be the, the trenches, like you said. I mean, that's just where it's going to be won and lost. Um, you know, who can, who can win the line of scrimmage? It's, it's really all it comes down to because both teams are extremely talented. Uh, both teams are playing really well. Uh, even though Arkansas lost A and M the way they did, uh, they punched them in the mouth. They traded punches for they traded punches for, for a little while, and then A and M kind of pulled away because what A and M does is they score punches. Um, that's not what Alabama does. Alabama. They, they grind you down, and then then they can they grind you down, and then all of a sudden they throw it over your head. That's just kind of how they play. Uh, and Arkansas is the same way. Arkansas Arkansas's best pass play is uh, is power. So um, they uh, they also are extremely physical. This is probably the most physical team that Alabama has faced, and probably will face all season long. Um, as far as what they're going to see with uh, with the size strength of the offensive line of Arkansas, side strength and speed uh, of the defensive line that, that Arkansas brings to the table. So, I mean, really, what, what you got to look at is the trenches, you know, and uh, which quarterback between uh, between Austin Allen and Jalen Hurts, which quarterback is going to um, make the one play that they need to make uh, in order to, to, to get the edge in this game. Because both teams are going to be able to run really well. Damian Harris on the Alabama side. Uh, then you have the, the shed of running backs over there uh, for Arkansas. Uh, they have two or three guys that, that, can, uh, that can come at you. But, um, you know, it's going to be, can, uh, can Calvin Ridley get loose? Can our Darius Stewart, uh, can, can those guys make some plays um, for, for the tide on the perimeter? Uh, so it's going to come down to who can gain that edge um, and who can hit that one big play that's going to uh, – 
I'm going to ask you a question, Perko. When, uh, when Bielema was the coach at Wisconsin, what was the Badger identity? National football. Like, how high defense do you think Wisconsin normally had? And how high rushing yards? Top 20 defense um, and a top 15 running game. Well, Arkansas right now is 48th in rushing and 47th in defense. Oh, wow. They're not even very good at what his identity is. Uh, Their biggest win against TCU doesn't look very good anymore. Their running defense specifically is 73rd in the country at 163 yards per game allowed. And Alabama, despite throwing the ball a little bit more, they're still Alabama. They're 26th in rushing. The numbers just don't bode well. This Arkansas team is kind of getting by with some smoke and mirrors. They have a three-point win at TCU. They have the one-point escape against Louisiana Tech. And then their other two wins have been Texas State and an FCS school. So the one real test that Arkansas had, I know it was close for three quarters, but they still lost by three touchdowns. I don't see how Alabama stumps their toe in this game. Coach, any thoughts or to any? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's going to go, um, and I kind of left it off without giving my prediction. I just kind of told you how the game's going to go. Um, I think it's going to be a real physical matchup, but I, I think Alabama's going to win by a couple touchdowns. I think it's going to be one of those kind of like the A&M game. They, they, it's a slow fest for a little while, and then Alabama will, will make a couple plays, and uh, they'll, they'll come out ahead on this thing because they're just that's just what they do. All right, well, well, let's head over, Ben, back to the ACC uh, to look at uh, a actually a very intriguing matchup in Chapel Hill where the Hokies come to town to take on the 4-1 Tar Heels fresh off their upset of the Florida State Seminoles. Uh, looks like Elijah Hood is going to be back and healthy for this game, which is good news for the North Carolina offense. But I've been even hearing some stuff about Mitch Trubisky for Heisman. He's looked pretty good in the first few games. Josh, what have you seen out of the North Carolina offense? Well, they're playing like Larry Fedora likes to play, and that's racking up the points and racking up the yards, and uh, that's that's just what they've done. And I think they're going to make a lot of hay this week, too, because I'm not entirely sure why Virginia Tech is ranked. Uh, they had a bye week last week, so they didn't have any damage done, but they're 3-1, and one, and... They lost by 21 to Tennessee. They beat FCS Liberty. They shut out god-awful Boston College. And while they killed the Purple Pirates, and the three of us love talking up ECU, the fact is ECU is 2-3 and three on the year. So Virginia Tech has played no one, and North Carolina has beaten Florida State. You can make a really good argument that they should have beaten Georgia, the Tar Heels are rolling. I'm taking that high-flying North Carolina offense to the bank. I'm buying stock in the heels, and I know I picked Pitt to win that division, but North Carolina just looks head and shoulders above Pitt, even though they played a tight game a couple weeks ago. Coach, how yeah, you- I, I, I agree, too. I mean, I, I don't understand all the love for Virginia Tech. I know uh, Brian Fuente is uh, this great coach, and he's going to have that team turned around and- headed in the right direction. You see that. Um, they're just not there yet. And I, I don't see, you know, 
you know, what they did to Tennessee in the first half is kind of what everybody's done to Tennessee in the first half. Um, but they still end up losing by three touchdowns um, in the ball game. Um, they're just, I don't know, they're good, but they're not ranked good. You follow me? I would probably rather see if you're looking at, if you're putting two, three and one team side by side, Virginia Tech and Texas Tech, I'd probably rather see the Red Raiders ranked uh, than Virginia Tech. And I'm not sure that Texas Tech, you know, Texas Tech is not ranked and they probably shouldn't be. But um, if, if you're comparing those two and, and, and you know, I, I think Texas Tech would, would, would get the nod there. Um, but uh, before I get off onto a, a tangent way down the road, I'll come, I'll bring it back in and come back to this game. I'm buying tremendous amounts of stock in North Carolina. Uh, Mr. Trubisky, um, he caught my eye in the, in, in the opener and, and he's just, he's been consistent ever since. TJ Logan, Elijah Hood coming back healthy. That run game is the only, uh, Ryan Switzer is doing his thing at receiver. He's, he's, uh, in the kick return special teams game as well. Um, he's, he's looking at all ACC honors, um, for, uh, at the wide receiver position, he, he, he's been uh, Trubisky's main, main weapon there. So, but, you know, I, I just like the way they play. They play hard. They rack, you know, they, they prove that you can be a spread team and not mess. You know, they, they play hard. They're physical. They, they do they do all the right things. They just, uh, you know, I, I think I think Virginia Tech's going to get exposed this week. I, I, I like UNC big this weekend against uh, against the Hokies. Yeah, it was just about a year ago this time, Josh and Core, that we were talking about Lair Fedora be on the hot seat. And <laughs> in Oh yeah, we were we were we were saying he couldn't coach his way out of a, a wet paper bag, but And now he's looking like people talk about him for the LSU job. So Well one of us also made fun of Mitch Trubisky and said that that's a name that doesn't sound like a quarterback that's gonna win anything. Well yeah, um, <laughs> Uh, I'm re- I'm 99% sure that was me, but I'm hoping that there's one listener who didn't pay attention to that show and thinks that it was Coach. <laughs> um, well, uh, we, we got to move to one of the great rivalry games. Uh, it is the Red River Shootout, um, and uh, Oklahoma comes in ranked at 20th. But both these teams are 2-2, two and two, um, but obviously uh, Oklahoma coming off of a big win over TCU this past week. Um, whereas Texas, um, you know, has lost two in a row to Cal and then to the Pokes. So, uh, Josh, who do you think this game is more important for? Well, boy, um, I think it's more important for Oklahoma, actually, because they've got the tiebreaker now over TCU. And I know that they can't make the tournament with their two losses, but winning the Big 12 – getting to one of those highly touted bowl games, that still matters for recruiting purposes. And I think Oklahoma fans have a better perspective than than people realize. Oklahoma was awful after Switzer left. You look at what they did in the 90s. They're, They're a joke. And, you know, Stoops has stabilized them. They've won a title with them. They find a way to win 10 games every year. And I think Oklahoma fans are, are excited by that. And sure, they got upset after the Houston game. And, you know, they got upset after the Ohio State game. But I think they have a better perspective than 
some of the other fan bases at these big blue blood, blue blood schools. So I do think it's more important for Oklahoma and for Texas. They can give lip service about Charlie Strong and all that, but they're just waiting for an excuse to fire him. And if it's after this game, so be it. If it's at the end of the year, that's a marriage that's gone stale. And the reason it's gone stale is Texas has no defense. They're 116th in the country right now in points against out of 128 teams. Uh, their win over Notre Dame looks worse each and every week as Notre Dame falls all over themselves. Texas is already uh, demoted. They didn't fire, but they demoted the defensive coordinator, so he's no longer making the play calls. And despite Oklahoma's up-and-down season so far, they still have some RIP, Ryan. They still have Baker Mayfield. They still have offensive pieces that are going to feast on inept Texas defense. So I, I think, you know, Coach took North Carolina big. I'm taking Oklahoma big. And I think they can win by three or four touchdowns and it's flat out embarrassed the Longhorns. Yeah, I, you know, I agree with you to a certain extent. I think this game has the potential of that happening. Uh, a huge embarrassing game for Texas and Charlie Strong uh, gets the golden boot. However, it's the Red River shootout and all bets are off as far as predicting it. Um, so I'm going to say it's going to be, I still think Oklahoma's going to win it. Um, I still think they have a lot left to play for, even though I'm not a huge fan of Baker, May- Baker Mayfield. I still think that winning the Big 12 is a huge deal. I still think that things are more school than we see on the outside looking in. Um, I think a lot of things probably look like they're dis- in disarray, but they're really not, because I think Bob Stoops has done a good job of holding that thing together. And I think, uh, you know, they, they, they've kind of been in this position before. Um, you know, everybody's doubting them. They're going to come out, and uh, they can certainly come out and just completely flatten and road grade Texas. Uh, for Texas to be 116th in, def- in total defense, points allowed, and with, you know, for them to be ranked that low in any defensive category is completely inexcusable, uh, given who they have as their head coach. Um, so I, I think that with all the distractions around, uh, I still think it's a close game because because it's the Red River shootout, but I think Oklahoma's going to win this one. Uh, I think Charlie Strong gets fired uh, because Texas is not going to let themselves lose Tom Herman. You know, they probably might still, uh, but they're going to make sure that they have all their ducks in a row to go after Tom Herman, whether they get him or not. They're going to position themselves to do that, so they're going to look. They're going to be looking with eagle eyes on this. Uh, on this uh, game to look for a reason to, uh, to get rid of Charles Strong. Yeah, I think that um, this is a do-or-die situation for Charlie Strong here. We had the rumblings last week after the loss to Oklahoma State that people were getting kind of fed up with him, and Josh brought up the defense. He came in as a defensive guy, and it's just been, you know, a house of horrors back there. So um, we will see. I would love to see less miles at Texas personally, but uh, I think that might be a little bit more of a pipe dream for me at this point. Um, that be fun. Let's get to the, uh, the probably the biggest game of the week. Uh, game day will be uh, at a Tennessee game for like the third or fourth time this year. 
here. Uh, Tennessee just keeps having these big emotional games. This is the third week in a row. Last week they beat Georgia. Two weeks ago they got over the hump against Florida. This week they've got an undefeated Texas A&M squad in College Station. Uh, Coach, you know, uh, you're our Southeast guy. Um, you know, who do you think is going to have the upper hand here? Well, uh, I think right now, going into it, A&M does because of um, the way Tennessee plays in the first half. Uh, it's a home game for A&M, uh, and, and they, they play better at home. Uh, their ability with Trevor Knight to score in bunches, uh, he has a litany of weapons around him that at his disposal. And, you know, Tennessee is, is, is still kind of hurt, and they still um, they couldn't cover – it seemed like they could cover Georgia's tight ends and receivers last week. They're going to have a lot more. They're going to have their hands full this week with uh, with all the weapons that that uh, that Texas A&M brings to the table. Um, you know, this game is one of those that's potentially out of hand in the favor of the Aggies. Uh, however, to leave quarter four up on the scoreboard for the whole game, uh, it might be more even. But uh, you know, I, I you know. You got to look at the way Tennessee started the game. Josh Dobbs just can't get into a groove until the second half for whatever reason. Uh, Jalen Hurd mentally is is up and down, and you never know. What but you know, Jalen Hurd is six five, two thirty. You know, it's a, a dominant force back there. Or Dobbs will press us. I say, Juan um, Jennings coming steadily becoming the superstar of that offense. Um, he's been in every big moment Tennessee season. He's right there. Yeah, so this is a this is a tough one for me because I've been on the AM ban or the uh, the Tennessee bandwagon all year long, and uh, that'd be pretty silly for me to uh, to jump off now. So I guess I'm trying to clutch at straws for them to uh, to pull it out. And I guess for for A and M, just for me to give them some love, obviously. Uh, they beat UCLA, who's probably a win or two away from jumping back in the polls. They won at Auburn, and believe it or not, I've got I've got the Auburn Tigers 24th in my poll. Um, they beat Arkansas by three touchdowns. This is a team that's still nationally ranked. And then in a kind of a trap game that they would probably sleepwalk through at South Carolina, they really didn't care. They still won it by two scores. So, you know, A&M's put together a really impressive portfolio so you know I have all the excuses in the world to jump off the Tennessee bandwagon but since I was a part of it at the beginning I'll stick to it I'll just say you know they're they're playing on the road maybe that takes a little bit of the pressure off them you know when they're doing that checkered board pattern and those big big games maybe they just come out tight I don't know that doesn't explain why they almost lost to Georgia, but I'll, I'll use it as a crap argument. And uh, for another crap argument, I was looking at Kevin Sumlin as a as a top ten ranked team. He is a uh, thirteen and five, so he's lost five games as a top ten team. They're ranked tenth in the country, so hey, or eighth in the country, so hey, maybe. Uh, Maybe he's not good with the target on his back. I don't know. These are really crap arguments. It, it, like, I love this Tennessee team, but they've done nothing so far, Matt, to make a logical argument on why they're going to win. And since it's football, 
they'll defy reason and they'll find a way to somehow win. Uh, it, it uh, you know, the, the way that Tennessee wins is that the horseshoe remains stuck up their butt. Um, yeah. but the way that Texas and wins, I think pretty easy. It's, um, keep uh, attacking Tennessee's offensive line, which, you know, it, for as talented as they are, they have not done a really good job of opening up holes in the running game. You've seen Alvin Kamara and Jalen Hurd get stuffed time mm-hmm. in the backfield because it has just – they, they haven't, you know, been very cohesive as a unit this far. And Texas A&M has a great defensive line, obviously uh, led by Miles Garrett, but they've got talent all along the defensive front. And I think if they can, you know, if, if they can, you know, jet, jet into the backfield, like some other teams have proven that you can, do on the Vols. I think this could be, um, I, I think this could be Texas A&M in a, you know, two plus kind of score game. So, yeah, I think, I think Miles Garrett's going to have a field day. I think it's, you know, I don't, I don't think Tennessee has anybody on their offensive line that can block him. Well, I'm not sure um, if there's anyone in America who can block Miles Garrett. That's true, but especially Tennessee. Yeah, but especially in, um, in Tennessee. Yeah. So okay, well, guys, we gotta uh, we we gotta keep it moving and get into our final segment uh, where we got some spread formations. Last week was a rough one for the illegal motion guys. Coach was two and three, and that was the high spot on the week. Josh and I were both one and four. Um, so uh, Josh still has the season lead. Uh, he's eleven thirteen and one. The coach and I are tied for second or tied for last, however you want to look at it, at nine fifteen and one. So um, our first game this week stays in the SEC. Uh, we've got the Commodores of Vanderbilt headed to Kentucky, who are three-point favorites at home. Uh, Josh, doors or cats? Well, the last, well, the last time I went with the doors was in the Georgia Tech game, and they completely uh, screwed me. So I will go with another Stoops brother. Why not? Let's go Kentucky. They cover. Coach? Yeah. I mean, Kentucky's been playing a lot better uh, lately, so give me the, give me the home cats. Uh, okay, I'm gonna take uh, I'm, I'm gonna take Vandy on the road here, just because I think that they have a defense and defense travels, and I think that the the cats are too on again, off again for me to trust them. So uh, let's. Uh, and, they, head up. and they literally traveled, Matt, because the uh, the Vandy uh, truck just drove past with their their equipment truck just just passed me on the highway. Oh, great! And the team buses, so they are literally traveling right now. They are traveling as we speak. Well, uh, another team probably traveling as we speak, that would be uh, the Maryland Terrapins, who head to uh, College Park, Pennsylvania. Maryland, point-and-a-half favorites in Happy Valley. I cannot remember that ever happening before. Josh, uh, you think Penn State can pull off the upset at home, as strange as it sounds, to have, have them be, you know, uh, dogs at home? Not seeing it. Maryland won in Happy Valley two seasons ago. Uh, actually, both games since we're in the Big Ten have been decided by one point, which is interesting. But um, Maryland has the sixth ranked rushing attack in the country. Ty Johnson, Lorenzo Harrison, and Trey Edmonds have all shown big play potential, ripping off long runs. And Penn State, a little bit of it is injuries to their linebacker, a little their linebacker core, a little bit is just straight up coaching. But they are the hundred and fifth ranked rushing defense. It's not about the X's and O's, but the Jims and Joes, Matt. You know oh, that. God. Uh, Maryland's Jims and Joes find a way to run the ball, and they win that game. Well, um, considering that I feel like Penn State is already quitting on James Franklin, 
Uh, and combine that with Maryland's ability to rip off large runs uh, at any given moment and the fact that um, it's nearing rock bottom for the Nittany Lions, uh, or actually as close to rock bottom as you can get because the whole Sandusky deal was rock bottom, actually. So um, it'll never get as bad as that. But it is getting bad in, in, uh, in Penn State. So give me the Terps as road favorites. Uh, yeah, let's make it a clean sweep for the Terps. Uh, DJ Durkin, uh, that, you know, and that squad is getting healthy and turn, really turning a corner right now. Um, I don't know if Penn State's going to score in double figures this game. So, uh, give me Maryland, uh, like 23 to 7. Um, uh, next, uh, we've got, uh, Washington coming off of a massive victory last week over Stanford, literally and figuratively. And, uh, they get to head to Eugene where the Ducks, uh, have not made it quite official, but it looks like they'll be starting a true freshman quarterback. So Washington, nine and a half point favorites on the road at Autzen, Josh. Yeah. Feels weird to give up all those points, but Oregon's had a lot of issues. You highlighted one of them right there, their quarterback. Uh, their other big issue is as much as we love the hiring of Brady Hope, we said that he needed time because he was changing the entire scheme of the defense, and you can't do that in one camp. And predictably, their defense has been terrible this year. They're 109th as all those kids try and learn a new defensive system on the fly. They gave up 50 points a week ago. They might do it again. Washington is that good. I'm taking the Huskies to win by 10 or more points, which will cover that nine-and-a-half point spread. Yeah, I, I think it, I think uh, if you do the multiplication table uh, nine times five, which will give you – 45. Yeah. Your spread right there. I think Washington's going to come out and stop Oregon. I don't know if it's going to be that bad, but it'll be close. It'll be close to that. I mean, I think Washington's going to win big here. Uh, they're, they're, they're looking like they're going to be the dominant team in the Pac-12. Doesn't look like anybody else in the conference can, can come close to Washington, at least this year, maybe next year. Uh, Oregon will be a little bit better. Uh, second year in a new system is usually always better. So uh, with the struggles that Oregon's having – and the absolute dominance that Washington is showing is just not a good matchup for Oregon at this time. Um, and it's going to show they're going to cover and then some and uh, then some extra on top of that. Give me the Huskies. Washington, uh, assuming they can beat Oregon this week, they've got a pretty nice slate. They've got a bye week after this, followed by a game against Oregon State, which is pretty much a guarantee, as guaranteed a win as you can get in the Pac-12. So uh, they look like they, they should be undefeated heading into November, uh, which is, you know, right. They'll, they'll be in the catbird seat for sure. Um, so uh, second to last game, um, we've got a Mountain West matchup. Uh, the UNLV uh, run Rebs uh, heading down uh, to San Diego to take on the Aztecs, who are 14 and a half point favorites at home, coming off of a loss uh, uh, at South Alabama last week. So, Josh, you, you're going to uh, two, two touchdowns plus. Uh, you think San Diego State's going to pull this one out? Well, SDSU's good luck charm is to lose to the South Alabama Jaguars. Last year, when they lost that game, SDSU went. Uh, 13-2 and two after it, and that is including the South Alabama win just last week. So, it's 
just be a weird matchup game. I, I don't know what it is, but South Alabama just obviously has their number. I think SDSU gets back on track. Uh, they knew they were kind of a long shot to uh, to burst the, the playoff and BCS bubble. Um, you know, they saw Houston above them, always Boise State right there in their own conference. But they want to defend that Mountain West championship. And I think they get back on track by beating UNLV by enough to cover that two-touchdown two spread. Well, I, I think it's going to be uh, – I still think SDSU is going to win. They're going to get back on track. But I, and I think they're going to win by two scores, but I think they're going to do. I think UNLV is going to do just enough to barely cover the spread. Um, they'll probably get a touchdown late um, as they try to rally, and they'll, they'll pull within. I think they'll pull within thirteen, but I think that's what the final is going to lie. I like the Aztecs, but I only like them winning by thirteen points, which gives the running reds the, the, the cover. Yeah, I, I, I've got the Aztecs by 10 in this one. So give me the running reps to cover as well. Finally, it's our, it's our favorite time of the week. It's time for who's the double digit favorite against Kansas. Um, and, uh, this week, uh, the Horn Frogs get to take out their, uh, anger after last week's loss to Oklahoma, uh, in, uh, at Kansas, uh, at their field. Um, I assume that there will be more Horn Frogs that, fans there than Jayhawk fans. TCU, 28.5-point favorites on the road, Josh. What you got? Look, I wouldn't want to be anyone facing TCU this week. You mentioned angry. Is there anyone who does better with a chip on their shoulder than Gary Patterson? I mean, he was shooting off at the refs, shooting off at Baker Mayfield. He is pissed, and that's not good for whoever TCU's opponent was. And so, yes, Kansas is going to get drubbed, and it's not even Kansas's fault. Like, TCU could be taking on a halfway decent team. Like, TCU could be playing Texas this week and would drub them. That's how pissed off the Frogs are. So, yeah, TCU covers. Is it, is it possible to have a triple-digit spread? Um, because that might be... So I do what you need here. Uh, I'm obviously picking TCU. Uh, if I picked Memphis to cover a double-digit spread against Kansas, I'm certainly going to pick TCU coming off a loss, and I'm going to pick, you know, pick them with a pissed-off head coach to to come out. They're going to hang 60 in the first half. I, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if they did that. Um, but I do think they cover this double-digit spread. Uh, yeah, I, I I think that this is TCU. Uh, running away with it 35 plus. I mean, I, you know, I expect TCU to have at least 45 by half. Um, if, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know what the over under is on this game. Hold on. Let me look it up really quick. Um, but I think whatever the over under is, which is 64, I expect TCU to, to cover that by themselves. So, um, yeah. So give me, give me, I'm going 52 to 10. This is my final. I'm going 52 to 10. 52 to 10. Okay, so you're actually taking the under there, Coach. Um, well, uh, I'll take the under because it, it, it's, it's in Lawrence, Kansas, and they probably will get bored halfway through the fourth quarter and fall asleep probably. Craziest thing about that, that over-under is the lowest over-under of any game in the Big 12 this weekend. Um, so, yeah, Iowa State, Oklahoma State 67, Texas Tech, Kansas State 68, Texas, Oklahoma 73. 
Um, so that is uh, it for our spread formations, and that is it for the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast this week. So uh, we hope that you all have a great uh, week six of watching college football. Stay dry, stay, stay safe out there. And uh, on behalf of the coach, Corey Burton, and on behalf of our intrepid blogger, Josh Cook, this is the professor, Matt Perkins, saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Download us now! Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers stay clean technology making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save-